Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amber Carnes, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Jeevana Heyman. Today we're discussing the responsibility of yoga teachers to have a commitment to accessibility in their group classes and how we can't just let ourselves off the hook by saying, well, I'm just not the teacher for everyone. We'll discuss how to create an environment of safety and trust in our classes and how we can play to our strengths as teachers even when, or especially when, we don't have all the answers. And finally, we're going to touch on the concept of advanced yoga practice and what that means to each of us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. So today uh, we're just going to have a conversation around um, a topic that has come up in almost every training that I've ever run around accessibility or equity, which is inevitably we'll get a question like, well, maybe I'm just not the teacher for everyone. Like, can't I just, you know, teach the kind of classes I want to teach and then the people who want to come will come. Do I really have to make my classes accessible for everyone? Because that is... Actually, it's pretty hard, I think, to be an accessible yeah. teacher and really make a, an environment where everyone feels like they belong, where they don't have to like, leave any parts of themselves behind at the door to join, and where they're going to be accommodated, depending on their ability or their body or whatever. And so let's talk a little bit about that, like this kind of commitment to accessibility. I know this is something you talk about a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is like my... This is... In, this is... <laughs> Close to my heart. This is like my favorite topic, probably. I mean, I, I have so many thoughts. In fact, I just wrote a blog post about it. Um, and I don't know where to start. I would just say, I think what you, the, the last phrase you just said is important to me, and that is the commitment to accessibility. I think that that's kind of where I go with this. It's not like, you know, we can't be perfect. I think, I think 100% accessibility is not possible. Um, and I think that's right. an important thing for people to understand. Like, I often like to bring that up and, and explain that you, you'll have students who have um, different needs that might be opposing needs in one class. Like you might have a student who needs a warm room and another student who needs a cooler room because of their disability, um, right? Like those are, you can't make both of those students, uh, you can't serve them both equally because right. what one wants doesn't work for the other. I, I've had that come up. Um, I remember, I'll give you a little example, actually, that like I had a student who had AIDS in a class and he used a topical medication, like the way he, get, put, he, he, the way he took the medicine is actually through a cream, um, but it was part of his treatment and the cream had a um, scent, a very strong scent. And I had another student who had a very serious chemical sensitivity and she got angry because she felt that the student was using some kind of... Um, you know, like cologne or fragrance, something. yeah, fragrance. But actually, that fragrance was part of his medicine, and it was such a conflict in that class that we really struggled with. Um, where both of them, they, they couldn't have both of their needs met. But I think, in the end, you know, for me, it just helped me understand that this is a very complicated topic, and 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 like what what I need that my job as the the teacher or the holder of this space is to do the best I can do to make that to make this space welcoming. In fact, 
I would say maybe that's the key is that I'm, I'm just making it a space where people feel safe and comfortable so that then those other issues could be resolved, you know, in some other way. You know what I mean? Like right. at least people come, come into this space and are able to talk about those needs. Um, I think that's, that's as far, that's, that's like as much as I can do, you know, rather than focus on perfection, um, I can make a space that's welcoming. I could look at the marketing I'm doing. Is that inviting to people? The way I'm talking about the class, the the way I speak to people, the languaging I use, um, the way I identify people, like using pronouns correctly, um, the way I would, um, so languaging in general, using trauma-informed language that to me is about, um, you know, invitational language around teaching practices that allow people to decide what's best for their body uh, rather than feel like it's a top-down hierarchy in the classroom or I'm telling people what to do. So I think that's, I think it says maybe a, is culture the right word? Like it's creating a culture that feels uh, welcoming and safe. Yeah, we call it sometimes uh, like a culture permission in the course that mm-hmm. I do with Diane Bondi, um, where, you know, we're really thinking about, and you gave a lot of really concrete examples of the way that can look, and maybe we'll, we'll dig into some of those. Um, but we're really thinking about like, how can we set up an environment or a space and whether it's a physical space or a digital space where the folks who are joining feel welcome. And so maybe that's just one thing we can talk about is like, what does it mean to make people feel welcome? Mm-hmm. Because some people coming into a space would say, you know, depending on who you ask, is a, is a yoga studio a safe space for you? Some people would say, oh my God, yes, it is a refuge. It is the place that I go that I feel the most peace. And other people that you ask would say, uh, no, I don't feel comfortable going into a yoga studio. It's not set up for me. I don't feel welcome there. And so I think sometimes for folks who feel like, well, these spaces are like, of course, they're so welcome. I feel so safe there. Sometimes it's really hard to understand that other people can have a completely opposite experience. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to talk about that for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. It's, it's, again, it's a way that I think we need to use our practice to be able to look beyond our own personal experience and understand that, um, you know, I'm, I'm having one, one experience based on my position in the world um, and my privilege that's different than someone else's experience. And I just need to trust other people to tell me about their experience. I don't get to decide for them what that right. is. So I don't, so if someone tells me they're not comfortable in that space, I have to believe them and, and listen to them and learn from them. I don't have to agree, but I have to right. be willing to hear them. And I think that's lost. Sometimes there's a defensiveness that comes in. Like, like you said, when you feel strongly like, Oh, it's so safe for me. How could it not be safe for you? Like, well, that person has a different background and experience, but I, I actually want to ask you something like what we started with around. And this is how I started my blog where a teacher said, um, you know, I'm not the teacher for everyone. This is how my, mm-hmm. my thinking got started on this particular blog. It was like, I had a conversation with someone who I really admire and a very experienced teacher. And they told me that they said, well, I'm not the teacher for everyone. Mm. And that it was almost like they gave himself a pass, like an excuse yeah. to not have to do any more work. Like they just do their offerings and the right people come to them. What do you think about that? Well, <laughs> I think that 
Building an intentional community space is one thing, right? Helping people to like self-select into the right program. But I think it can be used to say like, I'm not the teacher for everyone to give folks a pass. And maybe I'll just use an example, right? Like uh, Kelly Palmer, who's one of our our friends and colleagues in this work, um, creates intentional space that's only for black people, indigenous people, and other people of color, right? That is a, a space that's like, she's not the teacher for everyone because she's designated that this is a space for black people to heal um, in community with one another. However, that's different than saying, I'm not the teacher for everyone and just letting that mean, well, I teach fast vinyasa classes with lots of gymnastic-y moves that are hard to do so that if someone shows up who can't get up and down off the floor unassisted or who has a disability that needs to be accommodated or is a new beginner or whatever, whoever that person is that shows up, I can just ignore them and pretend they're not in the class, which... I want to say has happened to me lots of times when I was a new yoga practitioner in a larger body who would come to a class and, you know, everyone else is doing the sun salutations. And for whatever reason, I can't step my foot forward from down dog into a lunge. And the teacher is like pretending that I'm not there, like struggling or whatever, right? That Those are two different things. And I really feel that if we are going to be facilitating the yoga practice. And I really mean like the capital Y yoga practice, like the whole system of yoga as a lived practice, honoring the roots of what that is, not just teaching people an hour long stretching class together, which is like, I think a lot of times what it can look like in this like capitalist system that we are operating in. If we really want to be yoga teachers and not just fitness instructors, we have a different commitment, which is that, We are serving everyone that comes to us and we should be able to serve and accommodate them, uh, not equally, but to create an equitable environment where everybody that wants to learn and wants to participate is invited to do so. And I know that's like one of the biggest things that you and I both try to do in the work and the teaching that we do to give teachers the tools to be able to adapt the physical practice, to be able to make breathing and meditation and all of the the tools that we use within yoga to manage our minds to learn to come home to our bodies, not just available to those who are the fittest or the most able or the youngest or have the most money, but really bring these practices into a place that they are more accessible so that we can serve our students equally. So I think we have to be really clear about that, that... What does it mean to be a yoga teacher? Like, what are we exactly saying yes to when we step into that place of, I believe, a place of leadership, a place of power that's conferred onto us? How are we going to responsibly use that power? Um, Like you, you talked a little bit about, you know, having those two students with opposing needs uh, or like opposing requirements or whatever. Um, And you said something about like, we have to set up an environment where they feel comfortable enough to like to, to bring that to you. And um, I think like that little piece really points to like the power that we have as yoga teachers, um, both to like set up an environment where folks can trust you and feel like they can tell you the truth about their experience. But also once you hear that to actually be able to accommodate them or know what to do. And so 
it is, it's a tall order, right? It's a, it's a high bar to clear, like to say, here I am, I'm here to facilitate these practices to honor this tradition and to be able to make sure that everybody in this room, you know, is invited to participate and has something to do, not just like, we're going to do this, you go rest in child's pose, but really to like create an environment where people can practice yoga together. It's, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And it can be intimidating for sure. So I just want to acknowledge that, that like most of us don't leave these 200 hour trainings with the tools we need to do that, which is like why we have job security, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess if 200 hours maybe were better, we wouldn't have to do a continuing education. Yeah. Maybe not. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's totally right. Like the, it, it is a high bar, but I guess I go back, like whenever I'm teaching, like in my trainings, I go back to the yoga teachings and look at like, what are we doing? What, what is our job? And like, so yeah, like you said, are you, are you teaching the larger breadth of yoga? Or are you just a movement instructor? Like, I think you kind of need to decide which you're going to do. Like there's nothing wrong with exercise. Like there's nothing wrong with right. being like an exercise teacher or whatever you want to call it, fitness instructor. Like that's fine. And if that's where you feel comfortable, like do that. Yep. But I think if you want to call yourself a yoga teacher, then you are you're invoking a an ancient lineage that is literally thousands and thousands of years old. And that's a very complex lineage. It's not straightforward, but it does it does have a few themes. And, and I'd say the, the themes that are exist in that lineage are around spirituality and, and spiritual awakening and and working with the mind. I would say those are the main themes. So it's like the body is a tool that we're using to actually work on the mind to connect with spirit in some way. And like, if that's not what you're doing, then I don't think you're teaching yoga. And again, that's okay. It's not a criticism. I just think that's part of why we're stuck here having this conversation as I think a lot of times people don't really want to teach about anything beyond the body. Um, but they want to call it yoga and it feels, it feels like there's a tension there that I just quite, you know, that I get frustrated by a little. Cause I'm like, if you're going to call it yoga, like you have to, you realize there's a universality to that. And I think that's the word that I keep coming back to also, like the yoga teachings are universal spiritual teachings. Like they, they, there is a connection. There's a theme there, like over time and throughout the world, like there are teachings that, um, are about um, this inner exploration, you know, of like finding, uh, creating a relationship with yourself. And I guess that's, if that's what we're doing, then that sets up a different intention when you start the class. Like that, that, right. that to be space for this kind of um, inner exploration that goes on in the, in the classroom. And I guess, I think that shifts the dynamic so much. Like if I come into the yoga classroom and I'm coming in as the teacher and I'm just teaching you how to do yoga, um, by just by default, there's going to be a lack of accessibility. There'll be people who feel unseen and unheard. Um, if I come in there and I don't care if you call yourself a teacher still, like whatever you want to call yourself, but if I come in as a teacher, but I'm there to like, go in, go into this exploration with you. It's like, I'm go, we're going into this space to like really um, connect with ourselves and learn about our bodies and how they relate to our minds and how they relate to our world and our experience right now. Like that intention allows for more openness and more, um, 
questioning so like for the for a student to question the teacher for example i think is something really important like like you said like that the possibility for there to be that um room for um disagreement or to say yeah like that doesn't work for my body yeah like if you're in that class when that teacher didn't acknowledge you like your body wasn't doing what she was saying you should do if there was an, an openness on that teacher's part to like just even acknowledge it to say well if your leg doesn't come forward that's fine do it try this way or just see what works right. for your body like just some acknowledgement i think it would have like made you feel seen and would have made you feel like your experience was valid in that space so yeah. i just I think that's the key is like you can teach level five advanced vinyasa flow all you want but you have to create space for other experiences in that room and if you're not you're teaching calisthenics or something right. exercise related. Yeah, I remember the first time I had a teacher who stopped and said, like, stop me in a sun salutation when I was like doing something with my leg that, you know, wasn't the prescribed Ashtanga way or whatever it was. Um, and said, like, hey, can you stop for a minute? And just like, I don't quite understand why you're doing it that way. I want to understand more about what's going on with your body. Could you just talk me through why you're doing this instead of what I said? And that was like really powerful moment for me because I realized like, oh, this teacher who's in this smaller body that has the limb proportions to make sun salutations easy or like the genetic privilege to whatever, whatever, right? As in a body where this is easy, she's never actually seen a body like mine do this. And so she had no idea what was going on. Oh, okay. You have long legs and short arms. You're is running into your belly like whatever was going on and it was just an amazing moment to feel like oh so I don't actually have to be in a perfect body that already knows how to do like I'm here as a student to learn you know like we have to I think as teachers create an environment where like you said students feel free to be able to advocate for themselves or even at the very minimum to ask questions um, I think yes. like, I love what you said about, you know, this being, uh, the class not being, um, a drill sergeant in the front of the room that's calling out commands, but really like our role as a teacher is as a facilitator, or sometimes I think a guide that like, we're here to ask some questions I and mean, give you some stuff to do, but like practicing yoga, isn't making shapes with your body. Like the poses are tools. This is the technology that yoga offers us to be able to turn inward and do that exploration, like to get to know ourselves better so that we can relate to others better and be in service and all the things that the practice is about. And so I think if we are just a fitness instructor at the front of the room, like that's fine too. I love to go to spin class. I love to go to CrossFit. Yeah. Like I love group fitness, but that's not the yoga practice. And so I think if we're going to be a yoga teacher, with all of the responsibility, I think that that confers um, and all the opportunity that that confers, like we really have to take an honest look at what is the environment that I'm setting up? Am I creating a culture where people have permission to take care of themselves, to opt out, to take a break, to practice in a different way than what I am saying? Um, and do I know what those opportunities are to like, to invite people into the practice that are having a different experience physically or to invite people into the practice who maybe are 
neurodiverse and they're not going to experience meditation or concentration in the same way as most people or whatever that student may be having that's that's different than the rest of the folks that come to your class. And so I think one of the beautiful things about being in a space more of inquiry, of asking questions, of curiosity as a teacher, it kind of takes some of the pressure off of us to have all the answers. Like I don't need to know every Latin name of every textbook anatomy thing or like how exactly everything works in the body. If I could just be in relationship with my student and say like, tell me why you're bringing your leg out to the side rather than stepping forward. Like what's going on in your body? Are you feeling a sensation? Is it uncomfortable? Did did my cue not exactly just land well? Like there are a million things that could be going on. And so if we assume like, well, this student isn't listening or this person is fidgeting and they're always on their phone in Shavasana. And we get sort of in our ego as teachers of like, they're not following what I say that can be like, we're missing a huge opportunity to actually understand and learn something from the people that are in front of us. And so I think like being more in the questions and being more there as a facilitator or guide almost takes that pressure off to know everything. Yes. That's so important, Amber, because I really, I I find, I find that there's a lot of people who want to do the right thing. There's a lot of, you know, yoga teeth. I really trust actually 100% of the time that anyone who calls himself a yoga teacher is coming to this and because they're well-meaning they want to they want to share something they love with others they want to take care of other people like i really believe that i believe that there's good there and i want to support yoga teachers like i really i really try to avoid criticism and i and i and yet i think it's important to talk about this openly so i hope this doesn't land as criticism and i think what yeah. you just said is so important that that actually it can be a relief to like let go of being the expert again. That that's the it's a theme. It's like that's that's the way the system works. You know, we're, we're it's a setup that like you have to know everything before you start. You know, mm-hmm. and then um, you're not going to learn along the way, and that somehow you have to be like superhuman and know everything about every body. In fact, I have to say like although I love a lot of the movement in yoga around um, body mechanics. I actually have to say, like, I worry a little bit about that because I think it it might lead to this idea that we're physical therapists. Oh, we're not. Now we're not just exercise instructors. Now we're physical therapists. And I would just say, like, yoga teachers, the, the greatest power of yoga lies in the very subtle teachings around, like, self-love and um, interconnection, um, relaxation, stress reduction, like there's so much power in these very kind of simple and subtle ideas that don't require, honestly, they don't require a tremendous amount of knowledge and and expertise, actually. I think they're quite, they're quite easy to learn how to be in your body and, and get centered. Like, I mean, that, 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 that ability to turn inward, it's, it is hard to do, but it's not hard to teach people, I think. And I, I guess that's, that's our strength. So I feel like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like sometimes we make it harder than it really is. We, we don't play to our strengths as yoga teachers, which is these incredible skills we have that are different than physical therapy, that are different than um, exercise class. There's, there's this power of yoga to work with the mind um, through focus and, and relaxation. 
And I guess like that's where I, I say like if we can learn how to do that and then just be open to um, other to the experience of the students and not feel attached to them having a, a particular result like or a particular experience in the class. I think that releases us from a lot of the, the pressure we put on ourselves. I mean, I see a lot of performance anxiety in yoga teachers, um, mm -hmm. especially newer teachers. So I see it go two ways. I see newer teachers start out with a tremendous anxiety around wanting to know everything. And then later what I see in more experienced teachers, and again, like this is slightly critical, I guess, but I see older teachers who tend to get stuck and tend to think like, this is what I do. I do my thing. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about in the last episode, like, um, oh no, it's today, isn't it? I'm so confused. Uh, that I'm not the teacher for everyone. We right. get into this thing like, well, this is my way. Like, I only know how to do like this one thing right now and I'm, and I'm defensive about it. And like, I'm going to just say, if you don't want that, go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the right approach either. I think generally speaking, we have to, teaching yoga is a practice. It's a practice of yoga. It's a constant like challenge to the mind to, to walk into the room as teacher and to like be able to, be humble enough and also humble and experienced. Like to me, that's the goal. Like I've learned from my mistakes. Um, I'm humble realizing that you all know your bodies better than I do. You know, your mind better. And that's why we're here together is that we're going to, I'm going to offer some suggestions and then you can like respond how you like. Um, so it's like, a, it's a conversation even though I might be doing all the talking, <laughs> right. uh, there's still a conversation going on there. And I, I just think that's different than it being a performance um, done either out of insecurity or out of this like stuckness. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, when I start talking to teachers about making their classes more accessible or especially talking about classes where like maybe we have some folks practicing in the chair and some folks on the mat where we have mixed abilities in a class, they get very concerned about like, well, usually, you know, in an hour class, we only have time to do this many poses. And now I've got to say two different cues and that, like, how does this concept of making our classes more accessible kind of change the way the actual class might look, right? Like maybe we're not having as much of a, an emphasis on asana. Like how do you start to bring in these more, subtle and powerful practices, which I think are the most accessible parts of yoga anyway, because everyone has a mind that they can work with. Everyone has breath in their lungs. <laughs> everyone can be in a space of inquiry or self-study, like some of those subtle right. tools. Have you noticed that it, have you noticed that it shifts uh, the way that the, the class would actually look or the practice? Yeah. That's such a great question. I think, I think that's essential for us to be asking all the time. Like every time we're teaching, it's like, what am I, what, what am I trying to teach here? What, what is my goal today? You know, am I, am I, is my goal just to get people to move their bodies or am I trying to actually get them to turn inward and connect with a deeper part of themselves? And then if I'm doing that, how am I using the tools of yoga and the ancient lineage of yoga to do that? And that's really around, um, focus actually it's really about working with the mind i mean that's really that's really the theme of the yoga teachings actually is working with the mind so as much as most people think yoga is about poses really that's not true yoga is actually about the mind and and what is your mind doing when you're doing those poses so i think like if you get that if you get that feeling of, of yoga is really about this um inner exploration then 
it's okay if people are doing things that look different and it's not an external thing that I can actually see. Like I can't look at you and see if you're doing yoga right now or not. Like I can't tell by the form perfect alignment in some pose. doesn't mean you're actually doing yoga. Right. I don't think, I think we're stuck. So stuck on the physical, um, instead of realizing that the physical experience is a, is a tool that physical practice is a tool to help us work with the mind and to, and the nervous system, mm-hmm. which is again, working with the mind, uh, to get in touch with a deeper part of ourselves. I mean, yoga, yoga says that, you know, we all have this spirit Atman within and on the most basic level, we're trying to connect with that part of ourselves, the universal piece. And the way to do that, I say, is through acknowledging what's also changing all the time. And what's changing all the time is the body and the mind. And so in a way, asana practice is a way of exploring that connection between or, or like the relationship between the, the, the part that's never changing to the part that is changing. Mm. And, and also yoga, I mean, to put it really bluntly, is a journey to towards death and to understanding, to being at peace with your own death. And I literally, I would say that that is why almost every yoga class ends with a Shavasana is that you're actually practicing dying. And that's a great thing. You don't have to tell students that it's okay. But I'm saying that what, what I mean by that is that yoga is, is, trying to help us connect with some piece of ourselves that doesn't die, some universal spirit that, that, that beyond life, beyond this limited life. Um, and I feel like that's such a powerful goal that I hate to like, we don't have to, again, we have to say it, but I feel like teachers should know that they should like know in their heart that they hold like tremendous power. Like they have this incredible, resource that they can share with their students and i feel like sometimes we only share in such a meager way like we're so i don't want to say selfish but like we're we're like unwilling to give them like the bigness like the hugeness of yoga and we want to just keep it to ourselves or else we don't feel like we understand it and we're sharing just the, the the little teeny pieces um which is moving our body in this one way or the other i mean to me i'm just like why why yeah yeah the magic and the the i don't know that magic fairy dust of yoga like that deepest uh, most powerful yeah. thing is not about like getting your triangle pose exactly right and so you can look like mr iyengar or like whatever you know look like your teacher at the front of the room it is really about being able to work with the mind and remember the truth of who we are so that we can like recognize our own humanity, like that eternal part that doesn't change, you know, that you were talking about and see that in others and then like get to work on making the world a place where we can all be more free and more happy and more at home in our bodies. And so I think if we just stick to the parts of yoga that, you know, here in the West, we've sort of capitalized on, like literally capitalized on because it's been turned into a way to make money that's fit into the capitalist system that exists where, you know, our worth is connected to our productivity. And so then that shows up, you know, that, that concept from capitalism that your worth is linked to your productivity shows up in our yoga classes where we're coming in and we're trying to nail the pose or we're trying to strive to like 
be as good as the teacher or to get our alignment perfect or to look around and notice like who's doing the most and who's doing less, like all that sort of hierarchy that filters in from dominant culture. I think we miss like the powerful parts of this practice that really require us to go deeper and to go, you know, that practicing yoga is not as simple as like, once you have a perfect, you know, downward facing dog, then you're done. It's a practice, which means you're not done. You're never done. Well, I was like, what is advanced yoga? Like, what is that? Yeah. What does it mean? I I think that's a, maybe that's the question that we can leave people with for this uh, particular episode um, to think about and maybe spend some time writing about. I think it's very helpful. Like when we are in inquiry to either talk to one another about it or to write about it, that helps us to sort things out. But like, what is, what is advanced yoga? What does that mean? Does that mean you're able to do arm balances and hold a handstand in the middle of the room? Yeah. Does that mean you're able to recite Sanskrit? Does that mean, I don't know, like, what does it mean to you? Maybe you can say what it means to you. <laughs> no, I, I, I always, la- I like to leave it as a question. I mean, I think it's, it's probably part of everyone's journey, you know, who practices yoga to decide what, what is, what is it that I'm striving for? What is my, uh, what is it that I'm working towards? And it's not like, and maybe there is no advanced, maybe that's the answer. Maybe there's no such thing, but mm-hmm. I would just say, well, then what are you doing? Like, what is your, what is your intention with your practice and why are you doing it? Um, are, is it, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with handstands and doing very intense physical practice. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And the body's incredible and it's amazing what we can do with our physical bodies. Some people, but that doesn't mean that's a universal, like that's not everyone's experience. And yet yoga is universal. So I would say, okay, let me, so I can ask a question one more way, which is, what is advanced yoga considering that you are eventually going to die? So like in that context of mortality, like say that you're younger right now, but like what happens when you're lucky, if you're lucky to live to 90 years old, mm-hmm. can you do yoga then? Will you be more or less advanced at that point? Mm-hmm. Will you be less advanced because your body doesn't do the things you think you need to be doing? Or are you more advanced because you've learned something and you're more wise? Like, is that, are you, are you happier? Are you at peace with yourself? Are you doing service in the world? I mean, I think those are the questions of yoga. So I guess I am answering a little bit to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you my personal feeling, advanced, an advanced yogi, yoga practitioner is someone who is at peace with themselves and doing service in the world. And, and it's not to be judged from anyone else. It's a personal experience. Like there's no, there's no competition, you know? So I was like, I can't say I'm more advanced than so-and-so. Yeah. But um, everyone has their own trajectory on that. You know, like maybe you're already at peace with yourself. It's like what your work is, making peace with your body. Like that's yoga to me, right? Like making peace with your body and your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how does that show up in the world? You know, yeah. how, does that, how does that affect the world around you? Yeah, I think that in a, a culture that teaches us black and white thinking, that yeah. everything is a simple equation, and that organizes our minds, conditions us to organize our minds in this hierarchical way, right, where we have the concepts of easy and advanced, or yeah. beginner and expert, and all of those types of things, right, that involves hierarchy and and judgment right and when yoga actually asks us to do something much more difficult than to rank 
in hierarchical ways, which is to practice non-attachment <laughs> and mm -hmm. to learn to observe and withhold judgment and like be in that place of like the witness, all of those ways that we learn to manage our minds. And so, yeah, I really think that, you know, advanced practice for me, if we're going to use that framework of hierarchy is about being able to manage your mind so that you can step fully into whatever your role is in service without your ego getting in the way. Because then we can do all of the things that the yoga practice talks about. Like, you know, I, one of my favorite things in the Gita is uh, when they're talking about not being attached to like the fruits of your labor, but just like mm -hmm. you have work, like go get to that sacred duty that you have exactly. and like learn to manage your mind around that and not have this like, you know, I think with our capitalist framework, we always have striving attached to some goal or attached to like, when you do this, then you'll get this in return. Or if you do this, then you're finished and you can check it off the box. And like yeah. yoga is a system and a practice that teaches us to like be with life as it is. And mm -hmm. like really to have the tools to cope with a life that is, 100% uncertain. Maybe COVID has like thrown that in our faces more than ever before. That like, uh, everything's uncertain. Like also it's exactly the same amount of uncertain that it's always been. Yeah. And so I feel like yoga helps us to meet whatever we are facing with that peace, with that equanimity, with that like, uh, nothing bothers me. <laughs> attitude yes. not in the way of i mean this is something that you have taught me um maybe you want to talk about that for a second but like not in the way of that we're not concerned about issues or that we don't get behind a cause but in a way of like i'm steady and i know why i'm here and how i can serve yeah yeah i know that's that's a good one nothing bothers me i think that's krishnamurti i mean i think we have to be careful with that though too because when you say it I realize wow it sounds like I don't care right but um it's actually actually comes up in the Gita as well where um Krishna says you can't be attached to inaction either like you you're always acting um and like you said the way we should act according to the Gita is through service karma yoga without being attached to the fruits of our actions and that's that's what I'm talking about all the time when I talk about service is to be in this in this place of like of of just I think you said it too, like openness to life as it unfolds. And that can happen even in the yoga classroom. So it's like, I've done my work, I'm prepared. I took my training, but I'm still learning. I come into the classroom and I don't know who's going to be there that day. And it's an open class and like, it's a real mix of people. And I just like, you know, I'm open to that experience. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do now. Let's try doing this practice together. This practice is a physical pose, but actually what we're really trying to do is to explore how our minds are dealing with it while we're doing this physical pose. Like, what is your mind doing right now? Are you criticizing yourself? Are you comparing yourself to someone else in the room? Are you comparing yourself to me? Are you listening to what I'm saying rather than listening to your own internal voice? Like, those are the questions that come up to me in a yoga, in an asana class. And I think those are essential. Like, asanas are amazing. But yeah. asanas are designed to help us turn our awareness within and to observe not just the body, but actually what, our relationship is between the body and the mind and the breath. We get to see that more clearly. And, the, and also our tendencies, like that's the other thing, like to understand your personality and like the way you respond to certain situations. How, how do you want to control the situation? Do you want to run away? Like how does your nervous system respond? Or do you have a right. trauma reaction? Like all these things, the more you understand yourself, 
I think the better. And I want to say one thing about like trauma-informed teaching. Like trauma-informed teaching also doesn't let us off the hook in terms of really analyzing ourselves. Trauma-informed teaching means we create that safe space so people can dive inside, right? Like it's comfortable enough where we don't feel threatened. Um, that's what accessible, I mean, I, I would use those terms almost interchangeably with accessibility and trauma-informed. Like yeah. it's, it's creating safety and a container so that people can turn within. And that that's what we're trying to do in yoga. Some people may not be able to do that yet. They need more safety. They need more time. Some people can go right there. But turning within to begin cultivating a relationship with themselves, to notice how they respond uh, in their mind and in their body to situations, so that then when they're out in their whole life, like they're, they're, nothing just bothers them. Like you said, like they're able to be stronger and steadier in their service in the world. Like I always, I always say like yoga creates peaceful warriors. Like it actually does mm. that. And it's like you were saying before about the Gita, right? Like Gita, you're saying like, you have to choose what kind of warrior you want to be. But I'm like, yoga will create a peaceful warrior. Although there is actually a history of actual warriors in yoga. Yeah. Um, Colin Hall is a great podcast about the history of yoga right now. I just want to give him a plug for that. Like that is mind boggling and opening, like literally warriors that went out and killed people. Um, but that was like why I said yoga has a very long and complicated history. But generally speaking, it's about working with the mind and becoming a peaceful warrior where actually at home with yourself and you're feeling like you um, can love yourself and then also love other people. Mm -hmm. Should we end it there? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I know. We have many more podcasts to unpack many more things. Um, I'm glad we talked about this today. And you know, maybe we'll just leave y'all with that question about, you know, what is advanced practice? And especially when you're thinking about um, creating classes that are more accessible and more equitable, if you are really committed to accessibility as a yoga teacher, knowing that I think it is at the cornerstone of the practice, like yoga is at its core an accessible practice. That's a, I think a question that's a really good place to start and also just to constantly be an inquiry with because my answer to that when I took my teacher training, my answer to that five years ago, my answer to that now might all be very different. Yeah. So um, we'll leave you with that. Uh, definitely go over to accessibleyogatraining.com to get the show notes and all the links to all the resources that we'll be putting there and to check out the Accessible Yoga Training School where uh, you'll find courses and information and education that will help you both be uh, a learner and a teacher around these issues and really be somebody that can show up and create those spaces that we're talking about where people feel safe and welcome to step into the truth of who they are, to really be empowered and oriented, to be in that place of service and to disentangle ourselves from that ego and that striving that I think keeps us really stuck. So we're grateful you're here along this journey with us. Thanks, Jeevana. Thanks, Amber. Talk to you later. All right. See you next time. Okay.
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Jeevana and I are honored to have you along for the ride. We hope you'll check out everything we're up to at our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com, where you can register for our upcoming courses, including the flagship Accessible Yoga Training Online, which will be running that certification again in September. And right now, Kelly Palmer's course, Race and Equity in Yoga, Disruption as a Practice, is open for enrollment through next week. It starts August 18th. If you're really looking for a way to get plugged in to activism, if you're looking for a way to activate your yoga practice for social justice and really be able to find what your work is in this world of social justice and advocacy in creating safer spaces where our students can learn and grow together in the fullness of who they are, this is the perfect place for you to start. Check it out at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Thanks for being here. See you next time.